Grab your Bible, grab your smart device, however you have the scriptures, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to uh, gather around your table this morning and to be reminded of, of your goodness the relationship, God, that you want with mankind, not because of who we are, of course, but because of who you are. When I think about grace and mercy and love, um, you have no match. There is no one uh, like our God. Father, I'm also reminded of a relationship that we have uh, with each other, and um, it's imperfect as we are. I'm, I'm grateful, Father, that you've drawn us all together in your presence here today. Uh, as a community of believers, and perhaps even those that aren't believers yet, but uh, I pray that soon will be. Uh, I know there's some of our our congregation that are that are out for various reasons, and I pray a blessing upon their lives. But, but God, for the next few minutes, I pray that you would uh, be with those of us in this place as we consider your word, not my words, but your word. Pray, Father, that you would speak clearly to us, God, that you would allow us to hear um, without reservation, without distraction. Um, Help us to be about your business and not our own. I pray your will might be done in this place these next few minutes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, when I was, any football fans? Football, some of you are football. We're from Texas, right? We're football, yeah, right. So, growing up, my dad was a Dallas Cowboy fan, um, huge Dallas Cowboy. Nobody, you know, could match my dad when it came, came to the Dallas Cowboys, and maybe that's why I never liked the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I live in North Texas now, and people are like, you don't like the Cowboys? No, I hate the Cowboys. And I think, it, I think it's all because my dad liked the Cowboys so much. I mean, he was a deacon in the church, but as soon as we left church, we were headed for the Cowboy game, right? How are the Cowboys doing, especially if they were playing the Redskins or the Giants or the Eagles, right? Um, And I'm kind of rabid about my Oklahoma Sooners. I'm kind of rabid about other things, but not to the extent that... So I began following the Pittsburgh Steelers. Anybody remember Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Terry Bradshaw, back in the day, Terry Bradshaw. Anybody know the name Terry Bradshaw? I'm not talking about the commentator, Terry Bradshaw. I'm talking about number 12, Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Would give the ball to who? Come on, you're a football fan. Who? Franco Harris, David, right? Franco Harris, right? Or he would drop back and he would throw the ball to Lynn Swan or John Stallworth, right? These were... This was back in the day when the Steelers were the Steelers. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Now tell me who the right guard was for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can't, right? Okay, the Dallas Cowboys. Who's the right guard for the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, right? Yeah. She's a little rabid about the Dallas Cowboys. The point I want to make, though, is we all know Franco Harris. We all know Tony Dorsett. We all know Danny White. We all know Roger Staubach. We all know these heroes. But what about the Earl Campbell? If you're a Houston Oilers fan, right? 
But what about these people that block for those people that got all the guards? What about the people that don't get, what about the punters, the kickers, right? All these heroes that we have in our life are heroes because they have all the data, they have all the statistics. What about those people that don't have the statistics? Let me give you an example from Scripture. Most of you know the name uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Saul, who becomes Paul. He's a hero, right? But he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. We all know about the Apostle Paul. But what about those people that came before Paul? What about those people that Paul influenced in churches like Corinth or in Ephesus or in Galatia or in Philippi or in Thessalonica, right? We know a little bit about them, but not to the extent that we know the hero, the Apostle Paul. Does that make sense? Right. The point I want to make, especially over the next couple of weeks, has to do with people like this. Some of you, if you've known your Bible or if you've read your Bible, you've probably heard the name Jael. Uh, for those of you who that name sounds foreign to you, uh, I can promise you it's in the Bible. We're going to look at a, a hero a heroine named Jael. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at these obscure, vague, Old Testament heroes that influence our faith some way, somehow. It's just that we don't, unless you're in layer upon layer upon layer, we don't ever hear their name. Does that make sense? So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. And my challenge to you is when we look at these obscure heroes, that almost sounds like an oxymoron, right? Especially in our day and time, right? Where the, to be somebody, you have to be influential. To be somebody, you have to be the one carrying the ball. You have to be one making the touchdowns. You have to be making the three-pointers. Uh, that's not always the case. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Let's look at Judges chapter 4. Fair enough? I'm going to begin reading it in verse 4. This is from the NIV. It says that this. Now Deborah, a prophet, a wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. That's kind of unique. This is a female. A female leading the people of God. Jennifer, does that, does that cause problems for you? No, it doesn't, of course, right? But it does for a lot of people in this room, right? We, we're like, this is kind of strange to us when we read about female heroes, but there it is, Deborah, a female, a prophet, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She's a hero. Everybody knows who she is. Fair enough? Okay? Some of you have heard the name Deborah, especially if you've looked at the judges. You know about people like Gideon or Deborah or... Samson or Samuel or people like that, but I want to get to a, a woman named Jael um, here in a second. So she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh of Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. Barak is a male, by the way. He's a commander of the Israelite army. 
And in verse 8 it says, Barak said to this female leader of the Israelites, Deborah, if you will go with me, in other words, I will go on the condition of your presence. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Well, her answer is, certainly I will go with you, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. I want you to think for just a second. If you're an Israelite, hearing this story, hearing this narrative through the book of Judges, and you hear this, this narrative about the faithful women of Israel, right? Um, this is a very patriotic society. Uh, led by good, strong men, led by good, strong uh, leaders that were male, right? They had all the influence, especially among the Israelites. But here we have a woman named Deborah who is a, a leader, a judge in the Israelite nation, and the male, the commander of the army, Barak, recognizes her influence, recognizes the power that she has. And it's not just Barak, it's not just the commander of the army, is it? It's the entire Israelite nation, because look what happens. She judges the Israelite nation under a tree, and the tree is named for her. Under the tree of Deborah, right? They all recognize her influence. They all recognize her power. And it's, by the way, it's not her power. It's power bestowed on her by God. She has an in with God. Does that make sense? Throughout the book of Judges, these people are influential not because of their where they grew up, not because of their last name, not because of all these things we've talked about where our society kind of says that you're a, you're a hero or you're somebody because. No, she, she is somebody because she has an in with God. And that comes up over and over and over uh, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. But what's unique about this text, church, is we're talking about females in a highly, highly sensitive um, patriarchal society. I don't think we can fully grasp the importance of that. So it says in verse 9, So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak summoned Zebulun of Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. That's, that's key because we're going to have a victory, and the victory is based upon her presence. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zonamim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoim to the Keshon River, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Sounds like they're pretty powerful. So Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. Remember what Deborah would say? She said, before they ever went into battle, God has given them into your hands this very day. She has an end with God. She's interceded on the Israelites' behalf. And God has told her victory is going to take place. She's a prophetess. She speaks the words of God. And in verse 15 it says, At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, an army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot, what a coward, and fled on foot 
Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword, and not a man was left. End of story. No, not end of story. Keep reading. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. There's the name. Fled on the foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kidnite, because there was an alliance between Jabum, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So we entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Sounds like she's a hospitable individual, right? Hospitality was a big deal in the ancient Near East. You may remember Abraham in Genesis. Abraham was considered a very hospitable individual. As he meets this man named Melchizedek, what does he do? He's, he's hospitable, right? He gives him a tenth of everything, right? Or perhaps we, we talked this morning about Sodom and Gomorrah in our Bible study class a little bit. Uh, you'll remember these three visitors as they show up. What does Abraham do? He says to Sarah, quick. Go make a meal, and we're going to be hospitable to our neighbors. In other words, in the ancient Near East, hospitality was one of the top gifts you could ever have, right? This person named Jael seems to be pretty hospitable, right? So she goes out. She says, come on in. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said in verse 19. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk. She went above and beyond. You guys know people in your life who go above and beyond? She's not just hospitable. She doesn't bring out the flank steak. She brings out the T-bone. You know what I'm saying? right? Some of you ladies kind of nod your head because, um, yeah, you're very hospitable. Every time we have a meal here, and, and you, you, you roll out the red carpet for, for visitors, and, and this church has been very hospitable to, to, to visitors that I'm aware of. Uh, so she goes above and beyond. She opens a skin of milk, she gives him a drink, and she covers him up. Sounds like, sounds like she's gone above and beyond. His next directions are, verse 20, Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her, If someone comes by and asks you if anyone is there, say no. But Jael, Hebner's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer. Jeff, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, you kind of chuckle because you know where I'm going with this, right? Um, she picks up a tent peg. She picks up a, some translations say, maul, a small hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep. Wait a minute, I thought this lady was hospitable. What would you need with a tent peg and a hammer? She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died, you think? Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Anybody know the story of Jael up until this point, up until we just read it? Anybody know Jael? Christian? Yeah. 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 Last week you talked about it and Yeah, you talked about Ehud. You talked they're doing a great job, right? We're talking about vague heroes in the Old Testament. John, you know about the story of, of Jael? Yeah. So these are obscure heroes. I want I want to talk about just this chapter four of of Judges and talk about the characters of the story. All right? 
So the cast of characters are this. Jabin is the king of the Canaanites. Okay? Uh, Isra is the commander of the Canaanites. So every time you have a, a, a king, you have a commander, right? The king has his second in charge. This person is Sisera for the Canaanites. And if you don't remember, the Israelites don't like the Canaanites, the Canaanites don't like the Israelites. I think that goes without saying. Deborah is the judge or the military commander of the Israelites. She's not just a military commander. She is one who leads in a way that everybody responds to her. They recognize that she has an in with God. She is a prophetess, as some translations say. So she's not just a military commander. She's the judge of the Israelites. And Barak, who is her commander on the Israelite side, accompanies Deborah, but you remember what he says. There's conditions to him going, which speaks to somewhat of a lack of faith on Barak's part, right? But it also speaks to his appreciation for who Deborah is. He recognizes that she is a prophetess sent from God. All the Israelites did. I mentioned that to you, right? And finally, we have this Jael who is a, a Kenite. You may not know the name Kenite or the, the people group called the Kenites. You know the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the, all the Ites, right? This is one of all the Ites. This is the Kenites, right? And the Kenites were nomadic people, and then they moved from my, they, they migrated from place to place to place, and they were tent-dwelling people. And part of the responsibility in the ancient Near East for the Kenite women was to take care of the household. The men would go off and they would hunt and they would do agriculture wherever they were at and, and they, would, uh, they would do their thing, but leaving the wife at home in the tent and what was her responsibility, not just to cook and clean and do all those kind of things that women do in the ancient Near East, but she also takes care of the tent. Every time they would get up and move, she knows where the tent pegs are. She knows how to put up a tent. She knows how to take down a tent. She is a camper 101 on steroids. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? These are the Kenites, right? The other interesting thing about the Kenites is they have a relationship with the Israelites. So they recognize Yahweh from a distance. There's all these other people groups around. There's all these uh, groups that are, that are polytheistic, that worship all kinds of gods. They have a worship, they have a god for uh, the crops, they have a god for the sun, they have a god for the moon, they have a god for all kinds of things you can imagine. They have a god for fertility, they have a god for everything, right? With the exception of the Israelites, who are monotheistic, and that they believe that there's one true god, that one true god being Yahweh, right? So this Kenite, this small clan, this small tribe of individuals who are nomadic tent dwellers, had a relationship with the Israelites. They recognized that this one true God named Yahweh was with the Israelites, and the Kenites not only respected that, but they had an end with the Israelites. The Israelites took care of them from time to time. And here we see in Judges chapter 4, a Kenite named Jael takes care of, of the Israelites. I mentioned to you a couple of minutes ago, and I don't think we can make too much of this. These two women, early in the Bible, in Judges chapter 4, who are placed on a pedestal as heroes, heroines, right, in a very patriarchal society. 
I don't think that should go just unnoticed. I, I think the writer of this particular narrative wants us to understand that, that, God, uses, that God uses women uh, to even be leaders. Um, that, that may strike you as strange. You, you may have never thought about that in that way, but Jael is a leader. Deborah is a leader. Deborah is a, a prophetess here in, in Judges chapter 4. So what can we see about the life of Jael? What, why is she an obscure hero? Why is, by the way, why is she a hero? Because the Bible tells us she's a hero. I didn't read that in chapter 4, did I? It didn't sound like she was a hero. It sounds like she's a murderer, right? I mean, she, she invites the guy in. That sounds hospitable. But before we know it, she's laid him down. She's covered him. That sounds pretty hospitable uh, to me so far. But it's not until she picks up that tent peg and a hammer that we say, wait a minute, maybe she's not as hospitable as we once thought. And yet she's a hero. She's put forth as a hero to the Israelites. Now, follow me if you will. Look down in chapter 5. This is, a, this is a song from Deborah. If you know your Old Testament, songs were important for the Israelites, right? You have, as Moses and the Israelites cross the Red Sea, what, what's the first thing they do is they worship? They sing songs, right? That's why we sing songs in worship. They sing songs. There's songs through the, the Psalms. That's what Psalms are. Is they're, 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 they're made to be used with the lyre or, or the harp. They're songs to worship. And one of these songs is Deborah's song here in Judges chapter, chapter 5. She wants to recognize that God has delivered them. God has provided their deliverance from this king of Canaan named Jabin. And notice what it says all the way down in verse 24. We'll just read three verses, 24 through 27. Here's part of Deborah's song. Deborah, remember who she is. She has influence. She's a military commander in Israel, but she's not just a military commander in Israel. She's a leader. She's a judge. And she writes this about a Kenite woman. In other words, not a, not, not a person who is a child of God, and yet she's used by God. We'll come back to that. Here's what she says beginning in verse 24. Deborah says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. Why, why Deborah? What, what's this song about? He asked for water, he being who? Sisera, right? The commander of the Canaanites. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. That doesn't sound very appealing to me, but I guess it was in the ancient Near East. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. And here's where she becomes a hero. Here's why, where Jael is, is put forward as a hero to the Israelite nation. This Jael, this Kenite individual who loved the Israelites so much, and in fact, didn't just love the Israelites, but loved their God, she did something about it. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. An inspiring song, right? At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. That's a song. Deborah considers her a hero. Now, now think with me for just a second. 
Deborah is considered a hero by the Israelites for, for reasons more than what we've talked about this morning. But she's a hero among the Israelites. And now this hero of the Israelites, who is inspired by the Spirit of God to write down what becomes Scripture eventually, right, speaks about not just her history as Deborah, the Israelite hero or heroine. Now she says this heroine from the Kenites outside the Israelite people group is a hero, and why is she a hero? There's a couple things, I think, that are important about Jael in chapter 4. First of all, did you notice the courage that she has? All heroes, all heroes display a certain amount of courage. Would you agree? What does it mean to be courageous? There's a, a movie that um, came out years ago called Courageous. Some of you may have seen it, but um, one of the things that I think is uh, defines courage or becoming courageous is overcoming fear. You guys know what the Bible says about fear? Fear comes from fear comes from the enemy. Fear comes from Satan, right? And to overcome that fear, to disregard we're, we're not we're not we're not dismissing the challenge, right? There's a storm. We're not dismissing the storm, we're not dismissing the challenge, but to overcome that fear that comes by way of our flesh, by way of recognizing the storm around us. You, you guys remind, might remember when, when Peter is told by Jesus to get out of the boat and begin to walk on the water. Do you think there was a storm? Obviously there's a storm, right? Do you think there's a, a, an immense amount of fear for Peter? I, I, would, I would guess there's probably an immense amount of fear for for Peter, in other words, he's flesh just like you and I. He had his own challenges just like you and I. We know that about the entire life of Peter. But in this very scenario where Jesus tells him to get out of the boat, begin to walk on water, listen, Peter, you can be a hero for all those people who decide to stay in the boat. Peter gets out of the boat, and you all know the story, right? He begins to sink when? When he recognizes the storm. When he focuses on the fear when he loses sight of who Jesus Christ is. I think it takes an immense amount of courage to recognize that God is bigger than whatever circumstance comes our way. That doesn't happen on our own. That doesn't happen in our flesh. That happens because of the Holy Spirit living in our life. That happens because we recognize that God, our God, the one that we sing about, the one that we pray to, the one that we remind each other of on a weekly basis is greater than all these things that we talk about. And so courage is overcoming fear to accomplish something that you feel strongly about. I would say that Jael is courageous. She has not only the ability, um, she has the means, she can carry out this destroying of this Canaanite commander, all because she follows her heart and she overcomes her fear and she drives a tent peg in his head. Right? Now, God's not going to call us to drive a tent peg in people's heads all the time, is he? But whatever he calls us to do, we should do without reservation. You remember Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, who is told to go up and sacrifice your only son, Isaac, do you think there was any fear in Abraham as he says to his closest 
servants, you guys stay here, me and the boy will go worship, we will come back. We oftentimes think of, of Abraham as a hero of faith, and he is a hero of faith, but why is he a hero of faith? Why is he courageous enough to have Isaac laid out on the altar and get to a point that he's like this, and an angel has to show up and say, hang on, now I know that you're serious about a relationship with God. You know why he's a hero? He's courageous, he overcomes his fear, all because he believed that even if he slayed Isaac, that, he would bring, that God would bring him back to, to life. That's an immense amount of faith, right? So courage is greater than this fear, right? And all too often, church, we live by fear. What will people think? What will people do? And we've talked about a slew of other things of why, of why we, we serve a great God, but oftentimes the church is impotent because it feels like we're just living by fear and not being courageous, not by serving God with our whole heart, with our so, whole soul, with our whole mind, with our whole strength. Second, I would think, I would, I would offer Jael as an obscure hero because she's very wise. She has the ability to act upon her knowledge. You guys know wise people in your life? Uh, I think about my grandfather. Um, I, I, think, I think my grandfather would be considered wise. I mean, he, he had a tremendous amount of knowledge. And not just book knowledge, but life knowledge, if you know what I'm talking about. Right? I had a chance to um, share a lot of my young childhood with my grandfather. And, and I remember if, if, if he was talking, I was trying to listen. Um, and I was nosy, right? If, if we would go to the cell barn and he would be talking to one of his friends or one of the guys that they were uh, making a business deal or whatever, I, w- I would be listening because I recognized there was this certain knowledge that he had that I wanted, right? So I, I suppose by worldly standards he would be considered wise. But I'm not talking about wisdom based upon worldly standards. I'm talking about wisdom based upon godly standards. Do you understand there's a difference, right? There's a lot of people in your life you may think are wise, but they're not wise as far as God considers them to be wise. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a lot of smart individuals. There's a lot of people with knowledge, but if you don't use that knowledge to honor God, then you're not wise at all. The Bible would say, it's a fool who says in his heart there is no God. You guys know people like that? Yeah. You can be as smart as you want to be, but when you overstep the line and you say there is no God, or secular humanism, I am my own God, that's a society in which we live, right? That's a fool. No, no matter what you have hanging on your wall, no matter how intelligent you think you are, we're talking about godly wisdom, right? Jael was wise, why? Because she had the means to do something about this Canaanite individual, this enemy of God, and she does something about it. The last thing I want you to know, not only is she courageous, not only is she wise, but she's willing to serve. She's willing to sacrifice. She's selfless on behalf of of others. This morning, um, one of our challenges in our Bible study was to think about the idea of the word sacrifice. And one of the things that I offer to them and one of the things that I will offer to you is 
we can have Sunday school answers or Sunday school conversations all day long, and we can talk about sacrifice, and well, we should. I believe that we should talk about New Testament ideas of sacrifice. But for the most part, when you talk to people outside the walls of the church, and you use the word like sacrifice, they don't understand what you're talking about. They really don't understand what you're talking about. In the Old Testament, it got to the extent where the sacrificial system was, we're going to go up on the Day of Atonement, we're going to slay this animal, right? And we're going to sacrifice, why? To appease the God, to appease the king, to, to make everybody happy, right? He will let us live one more year. He will let us live one more year. He will let us live one more year. And you know what it goes on to say in the Old Testament? He says, I don't desire sacrifice. I could, I could kill all kinds of animals. It's not about the animal for God. Do you understand? It's about how you live your life. Are you selfless? Has something changed once you've met God through Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about the ultimate sacrifice. I've mentioned to you the sacrifice in the last couple of weeks, but I think it's worth repeating. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became a bondservant. He became a doulos by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, because of his selfless act, because of the sacrificial thing that he did, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the most selfless act we could ever imagine, right? And I think Jael was selfless in, in the way that she acted in regards to, she recognized, hey, I'm just a Kenite. I'm, I'm outside the group. I'm not an Israelite. And by the way, I'm a woman, right? But again, she has the means. She recognizes who the one true God is, is Yahweh. And she does something about it. She recognizes there's something bad that can happen to her because of all these things. Plus, Barak is, is hot on the trail of Sisera. And yet she's courageous, she's wise, not by worldly standards, maybe, but by godly standards for sure. And she's willing to be used on behalf of God. Now let me ask as we close this morning, are you courageous? Every time that fear, every time that fear kind of rears its ugly head, do you remind Satan of who he is? Do you, do you recognize that fear comes from the enemy? Sometimes it incapacitates us, right? It, it makes us immobile. It stops us. I think about people that have been on the prayer list for quite some time, and I think about discouragement, depression. I think about people that go to the doctor and they get, they get told bad news. Um, fear? Yeah, I think, I think we ought to recognize the storm. I think we ought to recognize the challenge. I, I think we need to recognize there's something out there that's bigger than us. It would be crazy in our flesh not to be afraid. 
But we don't stay there. We're also reminded that God is bigger than whatever it is out there, right? Whatever it is that you're struggling with. Whatever that storm is. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's something you've been praying about for quite some time. But courage comes from the Holy Spirit reminding you, maybe through individuals in the church, maybe through circumstances. Courage comes through getting in the Word. Courage comes through prayer and listening to God and be reminded over and over and over again that God is bigger than whatever storm is coming your way. So I'll ask you again, are you courageous or do you live by fear? Secondly, are you wise? Not by worldly standards. Are you wise based upon what God would say is wise? Right? God used the, the, most, the smallest clan, the smallest people group, the people that nobody uh, would think that He would use. He used the Israelites. They had nothing to offer. Right? It wouldn't be considered wise by worldly standards. But we're not talking about worldly standards. We're talking about godly standards. God came and was born in a, in a manger. That, that's what people couldn't understand that, right? God does, in other words, God does things that we oftentimes don't think are very smart, right? Hear the irony in that, right? Us calling God not smart, right? But He's God. So I want to ask you, are you wise? Are you wise by not worldly standards, but by godly standards? Do you know the Scriptures? Do you recognize this is the very truth that God has offered to us? And finally, are you willing to be used? Are you selfless? Or do you always have to be acknowledged? Do you always have to be recognized? In other words, are you motivated for a reason other than Selfless sacrifice. If that's the case, um, then maybe there's some changing that needs to be, be done. Are you courageous? Are you wise? And are you willing to be used in a selfless way? If you don't know Jesus, today is the day, I pray, that you would come to know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, this message is for you. There's an obscure heroine in the book of Judges, known as Jael, who gives us these very important ways that we should live our lives. Let's pray. Father, for your word, I pray that you would um, continue to mold us into the people that you want us to be. Um, help us not to just know about uh, who you are, but help us to know you. Um, Help us to go above and beyond ourselves. Help us to, as Paul says, to crucify ourselves daily. Forgive us when we become religious and forget about relationship. In other words, I pray that we would check our motivation and uh, make sure we do what we do uh, for the right reasons. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be bold. Help us to be wise. Help us to be selfless. Help us to love you with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.